in a world where Mad Lab Theater. What are you doing? Making the Mad Lab ad for Cinema Wheeler Tay. Oh, here's my other one. Susan thought it was just another day, and then she met Mad Lab. Why don't you just say that Mad Lab is the new works theater in downtown Columbus, featuring hilarious comedies, powerful dramas, improv with FFN, the annual Young Writers Festival, and the longest running shorts festival in central Ohio, Theater Roulette. That sounds pretty awesome, especially when I do it over the Star Wars theme. Star Wars is always a good choice. Mad Lab, the original. For more information, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit us at madlab.net. It's uh, Sean, Tony, and Scott, as usual. Hey! Hey! And we're joined by uh, a new two-timer. Hey! <laughs> hey! It's uh, Mad Lab Stephen Woosley, everybody. How's everyone doing? <laughs> and uh, we're gathered today to discuss, uh, I think, one of the quintessential 80s movies, actually. This, I think this is one of those movies that really set the template of what we think of as an 80s film. Uh, Risky Business, from 1983. Yes. Um, and I... The one image that always comes to mind, I think, with this movie, and it, it kind of hurts the movie's reputation in a way, is the old-time rock and roll scene. Why does it yeah. hurt its reputation? Well, I don't, it's not so much that it's a bad scene, but I think that scene became so ubiquitous with Tom mm-hmm. Cruise, like it was parody constantly, oh, yeah. that people don't bother to see the rest of the film and probably don't know much more about it other than yeah. Tom Cruise dances in this underwear. Which was actually an improvised scene. Mm-hmm. Wasn't even in the script. The, all the dancing. Mm-hmm. Well, it shows. But <laughs> <laughs> he's quite tidy, especially when he's like shaking his legs on the couch. It. When I watched it then, I'll do a lot of this throughout it. When I watched it at, that, at yeah. sixteen, and when I watched it just the other day, it was so much. Fun. The movie in general was funnier, uh, but that scene especially. I think when I was sixteen, the whole movie hit way too close to home because yeah. yeah. I could relate to everything he was going through, um, and it was just too like too tense and too like. Uh, but now it's all the all that other stuff going on around him. It's funny, and I know it's going to yeah. turn out okay. Yeah. But watching it initially, and, and even at sixteen, it was like, you no, know, being a virgin and being worried about your future <laughs> and all this mm. stuff. It was just and wearing yeah. whitey tighties and yeah. awkwardness <laughs> with girls. I have to make a comment about the the song because I saw two things this week that had the song in it. I watched the Michael Bolden oh, uh, Valentine's Day special, <laughs> which is a comedy. But uh, these punks show up, and Michael Bolton says, "Oh, you're here because you don't think this is cool. I'll show you what's cool." And he turns his back, and then all of a sudden, he goes, "Do do do!" He has a leather jacket on. And he starts singing that song <laughs> in front of the yes. punks, and he starts walking by. Uh, it was hilarious. He starts walking by like guitars and starts pointing at it. <laughs> well, <and I> think... <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> well, and I think that goes to Sean's point, where yeah, in, 80, yeah. in '83 when this yeah. movie came out, I was like, "Oh, that's pretty. That, that was still a pretty cool song." I was like, "Hey, rock and roll still here." Yeah. Whereas now it's like. Yeah, that's rock and roll. That's still played on Q96 probably every day. I know. They've been playing it ever since it first came out 40 years ago, but but so yeah, it's well, kind of turned the from other a cool thing song to note, a joke. The other thing to note too is the character of Joel 
probably would have liked a song like that. Oh, so yeah. that's something that he, yeah. thought, he, he would have thought that that was yeah. cool. <laughs> so yeah. to him, that was really rad. Well, yeah, yeah he's yeah. not listening to New Wave. Even throughout no. the movie, he's no. listening to that. And I think there's a Stevie Nicks song, and then there's a, a Springsteen song. Yes. And Phil Collins. Was he listening um, to Phil Collins, the ones in his bedroom? He might have been. And then those are what the music he's listened to. And then the, the actual yeah. soundtrack's pretty good. You got Prince, oh, Talking Heads, right. uh, Tangerine Dream, and yes. all the other music. That's all really cool. Yeah, but, right. But when it's him choosing the music, not that I don't like Springsteen, I love Bob Seger, but... Uh, Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not initially the cool stuff. No, no, no it's the, the Stanford man, like what they call yeah. what they call uh, roots rock, or uh, yeah. what they call it Heartland rock. That's yeah, actually that's a term a, that yes. they have for yeah. that. Uh, and I think that song, like I don't, I think it was like a top forty hit when it yeah. was first released yeah. in the late seventies. But it, I think that movie really made it made a standard it. where yes. it's constantly played everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know. Because I don't even think Seeger wrote that song. I think somebody else wrote that oh, song. Oh, maybe that's for true, him, yeah. So. Uh, and well, I, we used, I used to have Piston, Detroit Pistons season tickets, and so did Bob Seeger. So <laughs> I always called my close personal friend Bob Seeger because right. we, we would go to games together. He would be at center court, and I'd be. Well, uh, you can confirm but, that with Bob next time you see he, him, right? Every time, and they would play that song at every game, and every time they did, <laughs> if they put the camera on him, he was always like, Oh yeah, you're playing my song. That's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was a cool guy. He was always like, oh, and he was always there with his kids or, or his wife, or whatever. He, he just he was definitely that guy who's like, yeah, yeah, I'm Bob Seger, but I like hanging out at the game. And, yeah, you know, and this yeah. is when the Pistons were not good, so he wasn't just there to see the bad boys or the great teams. He was like, they, these were the Grand Hill teams, which were decent, but he was still there hanging out, and he he just always looked like a cool guy. But yeah, he was always never looked aware that his song was on. <laughs> Probably by then, he, he never. It was he, part he of the, the ether at that point. Yeah, exactly. Well, he might have been hard of hearing. I mean, a lot of musicians <laughs> yeah. have a hard time hearing. It's yeah. possible. From concerts and stuff. Maybe he was hard. I don't know. That's, That's probably true. Or maybe he, he was just that modest. He's still touring every once in a while, but he does a. Uh, usually he just does like a little Midwest tour because he wants to be in Detroit at the end of every. So even if oh. he plays a show in Dallas, he's flying back home that night. Is that like his favorite place? Is that where he's, he's from? He's from Detroit. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. Detroit Rock City is a lot Which, um, this movie was based in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Was it? Yeah, was uh, it? No, Chicago. Or Chicago. 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 Sorry, it's sorry, definitely sorry, Chicago, Chicago, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Um, but I, I, that song was ubiquitous in the 80s. Yeah. I, I think it was the yeah. only Seeger song you ever heard, except for Like a Rock. That was the right. only other what song you heard because yes. of the commercials. So this guy has a well, habit of getting ubiquitous songs out no, there occasionally. I think, um, uh, Turn the Page was a pretty big song. It was a song, but it, it was more of an FM hit where yeah, people would listen to, to it. Or yeah, the, yeah. the classic rock stations, you'll still hear that on Oh, Twitter. yeah, yeah that constantly. Plays. Like, yeah, they play all of Seeger's songs on classic yeah. rock stations, yeah. but this was like a top 40 song it for a while in the 80s. Yes. Yeah, it was, it was ubiquitous. Yeah. Old time rock and roll because of this movie yeah. and that scene. Well, I guess he has Tom Cruise to thank. Yeah. Oh, he does. <laughs> yeah. They were playing back to back, but it's still rock and roll to me. With, uh, oh, Billy Joel, yeah. Because yeah. it's the same song. <laughs> it is, it is. It's the same sentiment. I love seeing rock and roll. I actually prefer It's Still Rock and Roll to me. I'm a big Billy fan. So, I guess it's a yeah. similar sentiment. They are. Billy Joel saying, I don't care what it is, it's still rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. Bobby Lewis wants the old stuff. Yeah, the, the heart of rock and roll. The heart of rock and roll. Oh, so. <laughs> I don't know. Man. Basically, any, anyone that's like singing about a song that's about rock and roll, that song is probably not rock and roll. I love rock and roll, maybe. That, oh, you, can, you can make an argument for that. Maybe. And rock and roll by the Velvet Underground is that's that's a. Or rock and roll. I'm not dissing rock and roll. Yeah. I'm just saying right. any Which song. Which is probably more played than any of these. Yeah, yeah, about rock and roll. It's probably not a true like rock and roll hit. How about rock and roll High School? By the that's Ramones. 
Maybe. That rock, might rock, be the rock, exception, rock, rock, but... Mm-hmm. Are you saying Billy Joel's not rock and roll? <laughs> uh, kind of, yeah. He's like soft rock. Shots fired. Shots fired. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, let's just call his page his page. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> okay, I feel the fire on me. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't start the fire, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, boom. Bring it back. It's like... <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, um, <laughs> I do like I do like uh, she's always a woman. Mm-hmm. That's a nice song. Which is I wouldn't say that's a rock and roll song. It's like a, it's a nice ballad. Yeah, yeah it's like a ballad. exactly. Yeah. Well, rock and roll is kind of a generic term anyway. Yeah. Like yeah, you which know, is what Bill like singing that song. Exactly. Yeah. yeah like the there's like Shana. Things. That's the rock. Shana. That's rock and roll. That's rock and roll. Really, Chuck Berry's rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. You know, after that, it's just that everything's kind of muddled. But Chuck Berry, you go to rock and roll music. That's a rock and roll. And I think the going back to Bob Seger, I think that song is about the '50s rock and roll. You know, still like that old time rock and roll. Like he's talking about that type of music because in the 80s you had so many new genres coming in you know yeah. the new wave and things like that and I'm th- I think that's like an homage to that Chuck Berry kind mm-hmm. of rock and roll I think anyways I wonder about. I'm also wondering like if they really just picked it because it fits so well into that scene because yeah. the opening piano chords mm-hmm. and then he just slides yeah. out there yeah. is so effective and it just grabs yeah. your attention and it was a live track too yeah so you hear the audience and stuff there mm-hmm. that, and that was a I think actually his live album or his greatest. It, I think there were both his two biggest sellers, but it was a live version. I think that was the hit. I think yeah, um, something like that. But yeah, it fits in well. And like you said, it's a heartland yeah. song. And he's in Chicago, but he's in the suburbs. Yeah, mm-hmm. he doesn't live in the city. He's on the lake, which they make a big point of. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So the movie was actually almost called. Um, oh gosh, what's the line that? What's her name says when she says, um, it's what every white boy off the lake lake wants. wants. The movie was almost called that. I think what every white boy off the lake wants or something like that. Something from that? Yeah, instead of risky business, which I thought was kind of interesting. White boy off the lake or something maybe, I think is what it would have been. I think that was it because I remember thinking that's kind of a weird title for a movie. (laughs) Yeah, white boy off the lake. That could be a title for a lot of movies actually. Yeah. You know, working title. But I, I think this movie though, like, you know, I, I talked about that scene primarily because it's the most popular scene from this right. movie. It's the most I don't know. That, well, that one, the sex scene's pretty great, too. Well, you're, you're talking about quality. I'm talking about what's widely known <laughs> right. to the, a wide swath of people. Oh, you know, yeah. It's kind of like, uh, what's the equivalent of the shower scene in Psycho? There's a lot more to Psycho than the shower yeah. scene, but everybody knows the shower scene. Even if you haven't seen the movie. Like, people, well, there are a lot of people who haven't seen this movie that know that scene. Same with thing with this, the, the sex scene on the train, though. That's pretty... I don't know if it's, I'm not saying it's as well known as the rock and roll, but it's a pretty, like whenever people talk about risky business, people, that like people the movie, more so that's say the, the sex Right, yeah. that's, that's exactly yeah, what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. don't, they think of that, yeah. the, right. the, the rock and roll scene. Yeah. It's like a single off an album that has nothing to do with the rest of the yeah, album, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. but that's the one thing everyone knows. Yeah, it's just that know. little scene, and it's, it's so early in the movie too, that it, as opposed to, I think a lot of those yeah. other iconic scenes we're talking about are... Usually, like the climax or, or, mm-hmm. or bigger moment. Right. Well, I think yeah. it was because it's the combination of him becoming Tom Cruise, the actor, becoming a heartthrob. Right. Yeah, that was the that's idea. exactly that's, why that's, that's, that's such a. You know, right. that's, that's on Team Beat magazine with the glasses and. Uh, yeah, oh, it, it was definitely yeah. a synergistic moment. Yeah, of, yeah. I mean, he became this huge teen sex symbol. Yeah. He became Tom Cruise. He became Tom Cruise. Yeah. Because yeah, other people in the movie did well, but none of them became. 
Well, well Bronson there. Pinchot had made his covers. You know. hey, well, <laughs> Armstrong. Those famous Tiger Beat <laughs> covers with, uh, with Bronson Pinchot back in the late 80s. From I, Perfect Looks know, to Perfect Strength. I, really um, I really thought Rebecca De Mornay would have kind of blown up. Oh, I thought so too. At the time. I did too. But You know, watching this, like I actually mm-hmm. love her performance. It's probably I my favorite too. performance in the movie, actually. Yeah, she's great. But uh, her career never took off to the yeah, degree that his did. The only other thing she did was to hand it rocks to Cradle when she played she the psycho yes, babysitter. That. that got a ton of attention. But then even after that, you didn't hear She much. showed up and stuff, but yeah, nothing was a big hit. <laughs> she did a remake of God Created Women. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and a few, some other things here and there. But yeah, nothing... Nothing like stuck that. with yeah. her. Yeah. Uh, she's great in this movie too. Like she's yeah. just perfectly yeah. cast. I can't think oh, of anybody yeah. better suited to that that role. I love Lana. I love the character. Yeah. I think she's smart. You know, she's sexy. She's mysterious. She's very cool. Um, it's probably maybe debatable, but I think she's a good influence on Joel. Well, and that was one of the things when I watched it this time because mm. I. I probably watched it a hundred times in 1984 because I saw it a year mm-hmm. after it came out because it came out, we had HBO mm-hmm. and I was, wasn't old enough to see it. I remember seeing the trailer for it. I think I was at Superman 3 actually. <laughs> a very <laughs> underrated movie as we know from Office Yes, yes. Uh, and, uh, but I don't think I saw it a year later and then I watched it like a hundred times. And mm-hmm. like I said, I was 16, Joel's whatever, he is 17, so all that. 17 or 18, yeah, yeah maybe. He's like and, a senior. And watching it from that perspective, I was always like, oh, Lana's terrible, you know, she broke his heart, blah, 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 you know. And it went she actually helped him in a lot of ways. There's, st- and it, it, I like they still, they never answer the question, I think it's left to us or, or whatever, whether she, it was a setup or not and all that stuff. But watching it this time, I did not feel as much like mm-hmm. she was awful, but it was like, it was more like. It was still like she might have stuck it to him, but she was still in the picture. She was still around. I, and I think as a as a young person, her character wasn't as complicated to me. It was just like, oh, she's a hooker, and she kind of screwed him over, but she still kind of likes well, him. Whereas now, I think she does so many twists and turns, and that's the other. And like you said, I think she seems much more smart and complicated. And she's the one, or she might be the one orchestrating everything, but she also might have. I think she has legitimate feelings for for this kid. Well, but I, but as a, when I was younger, I couldn't. It had to be one or the other, you know. See, I don't know. Maybe as a woman, I have a different perspective on it. Like mm-hmm. I don't feel like she stuck it to him in any way, shape, or form. I don't know if it was a setup or not. I mean, that's I think debatable. I don't feel like it was. It seems strange that it would be a setup, um, because what would she have to gain out of it? She didn't gain anything. Well, maybe a couple hundred dollars, but she would have gotten anyway if she. Well, she kind of gained freedom from yeah. from uh, Guido. Guido, yeah. yeah, yeah. But but here's the thing, though, guys. He went back at. They had their one night together, and then they, she left. She took the egg or whatever and left. She didn't anticipate or know that he was going to go to that restaurant and find her, which then is when the car chase happened with Guido, and then he became more involved in her life. She was probably just going to let it end where it ended. She stole the egg, and that was that. Right. Well, I don't so, think I don't I think don't. the idea happens until she stays the second time. Well, no, maybe not. But when, I'm just when saying. When friend I comes think... over and sleeps with Vicky, that's when the wheels start turning. She says, "You got a lot of friends." Well, she even suggests that to him, and that's then after the accident with the car, then he right. buys into it. But it's not a setup. Well, I think it was just a way to make. I'm talking. Them to well, there's money. that, but then at the end, how does all this stuff disappear? Now that's, that's the question. The question. Now that's a little bit different, but I don't think in, initially then, in, the intent was to set this guy. No, up I don't think initially. I think, but there's a question there with the train, especially whether 
that was a setup. And you know, and he he ends up making out okay. He gets his car paid off yeah. or whatever. Well, if not for her, does the car go in the the lake or whatever? Who knows? But but yeah, I don't think but it's a setup. Not, I don't think it's a setup from the top. But, but I think can, there's still a question of whether the 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 train thing was a setup. I mean, the train thing. What train? Yeah, when they go on the train for the sex, that's when all the stuff disappears. Oh, gotcha. Well, either way, he wouldn't have gotten into Princeton without her. That is true. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that he kind of owes her. Well, yeah. really, that goes back to my love. Does yeah. he want to go to Princeton, though? That's a good he question. He did. He did. Oh, yeah, because he says, it's the University of Illinois yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah. Which is Which I feel bad for the University of Illinois. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just gets the well, I, he, he's a guy that I think had a trajectory set up for him because his parents right. are so... Conservative, yes. and you know, it's kind of a milk toast mm-hmm. McMansion yeah. type neighborhood. And uh, th- there are expectations that come with him, he had to live up those expectations, but he was freed from that, yeah, by you know, his friends. Well, and also, yeah, I think to, to your point, Tony, I think oh, his universe is completely broadened by her, yeah, and it's not just the one time they, they had sex, it's all the other stuff, yeah. I really honestly think it was, a, it was a nice marriage of they helped each other without really knowing it. I think they both kind of. I don't want to use the term saved each other in any way, but like I think they both really helped each other in ways that neither one was aware that they really needed to be helped or that they thought this other person could help them in that way. You know, there's mm-hmm. maybe he helped her get freedom from Guido, um, helped her maybe identify a little bit better with herself. She obviously gave him confidence mm-hmm. and kind of helped him come out of his shell a little bit. Um, they were both intelligent and smart, and I really like right. this scene where they're they're kind of hosting, you know this brothel at his house mm-hmm. they're working together nicely and it's teamwork mm-hmm. and I think that's great it's a good foundation for any kind of relationship um, even though I don't get the idea that there's one that's really going to I think they'll be friends you know he's going to go off to college and stuff like that I think they realize that but um, I don't know I, I guess being a, a woman and an optimist maybe I kind of like to think that you know they helped each other out that nobody was really out to get anyone per se I like to think it was just one of those situations yeah, I don't yeah. look at it yeah, as, like I, I said, know. I don't look at it as terrible now. Yeah. Because at the end, they're still friends or whatever. At 16, I thought it was like, oh man, he's still in love with her and it's terrible. But now, looking at it, it's like, no, they went through this. Yeah. They have that talk and he asked her if it was set up. Mm-hmm. And uh, she doesn't really give a, an answer. Well, people, I think everybody in this movie has uncertain motivations yeah. throughout the whole movie. You're never really completely sure right. about anybody. Cause yeah. They have appearance one way, yeah. but they act a certain way. You know, yeah. even his dad when he comes up to say he got into Princeton, Princeton acts like he, you know, yeah. He, I, I, my first reaction is like, oh, he found out about the car, uh, yeah, and uh, you know, and I don't know. They always had that. <laughs> there's a lot of tropes in this movie. I don't know if they started a trope or they're a continuation of that trope, like stealing the dad's car and driving around mm-hmm. when you're not supposed to. I mean, that's a fair, fair stealer. Yeah. Well, Animal well, House, Animal House. Well, and they even time. say when they, they even uh, he even says that's great. You did the taking the, your old man's car. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't even know if it says trope, but thing. Yeah. But yeah. Ferris, like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Ferris Bueller steals from this movie. So oh, like, yeah, yeah. Except yeah. The, the main character's Ferris in this one. It's still in Chicago. It's got yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. It's the Overbearing, but it's Ferris that's making his friend. Do yeah, all this you're, yeah stuff. you're right. That's a that's a good. Point. Well, on this one, it's Miles Curtis yeah. Armstrong making them, but even Miles doesn't believe it. Well, yeah, like like yeah. you were saying, yeah. Like, there's people who are like, oh, this is the deal, and then they're like, well, that's not because really, he's like, is that is what, what happened to what the fuck, or is that all bullshit? Right. Yeah. 
Oh, bullshit. <laughs> yeah. My, Miles himself is a trope, by the way. Yeah, the best yeah, friend no, that, tried, that that acts like he knows all the shit, uh, and then he finds out yeah. he doesn't know any, he knows yeah. even less, and is more of a yeah. coward than Joel. Well, you know? and I was watching it with Greg McGill, plug for Greg McGill, and he was like, and he, he said this, which is easy to think now, but he's like, well, who would believe that Tom Cruise couldn't get laid? I'm like, well, then you could believe it. Now, obviously, no one no. believes that Tom Cruise. But, but the problem I have is, is Miles being like, well, I get girls all the time. He's like, yeah. and then later, after Joel finally gets to go, he's like, well, I don't have to pay for it. I'm like, who is this guy? Yeah, exactly. Why is he he's, your friend? He's an insecure yeah. friend. Yeah, he is. Yeah. A lot of teenagers are like, no, oh, there's, always like right. that. there's always that undercurrent of competitiveness, and it's really strong with women. Well, well now I realize who that friend exactly. was in yeah. my life. And yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. You know, a lot of those people, too, it's it's like, there are a lot of friendships of convenience in high school, too. Oh, yeah. People just hang out because they're mm. in the same social strata. Mm. It's not that they dislike each other, yeah. but there's also like, you know, I'm going to move up. If I can move up the social ladder and leave you behind, you know, I can, I'll pull it off. You know, well, just waiting you, for that opportunity. You can tell who Joel's real friends are because they're the ones who help move all that stuff in at the end. Oh, yeah. Within like half an hour because you, you can't even get yeah. people to show up, period, the, to move with a bunch of notice. And then those guys are actually there. So Yeah, that's, that's friendship. That's if you're helping someone move something, that's friendship. Here's a theory I have. Just because I really like Lana and I don't ever want to think that she's... Anything other than a nice lady. <laughs> Here's my theory. So maybe when they were going out on the train, and, and honestly, I really don't feel, I don't know, I don't get the impression that she'd be the kind of person that would, like, set him up that way. So I'm wondering if maybe she was unaware of it as well. Remember, she had a lot of friends, girls, that also worked under Guido that were there that night. Yeah, but... And the one girl, Vicky, was in the truck with Guido. Yeah. Well, she wasn't, was, though. What's Lana's answer at the end when... She says no, but you don't believe me. Yeah, that's what she says. Yeah, because. But I don't want to. I mean, if he if he if he asked her that question, it says he doesn't believe her. For him to even ask that, honestly, is kind of like, well, you don't believe me anyway. Well, I think that answers also to everybody except for Tony in the audience. He's like, I don't believe. I I still think she was in on it some way. I don't know. I think obviously things happened, and it would be easy to let Guido know, like that girl Vicky was with him, so she could have said, "Hey, they just left. Come over." Sure. Lana may not have been aware of it. I don't know. I just think, and the reason I say that too is there is an alternate ending. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Mm-hmm. It was actually the end. The uh-huh. ending that um, um, that the, the director wrote and wanted. They actually changed the ending to what it is now because people wanted a lighthearted comedic mm-hmm. ending. The original one, they're eating at the restaurant, the same restaurant um, that they're at and the one that we see, and they're having the, kind of like a similar, same conversation more or less, and then um, when Joel says, you know, uh, where do you think we'll be in 10 years, and she still says, I think we're going to make it big, and then she gets like sad, and Joel says, come over here, and he like pats, and then she sits on his lap, and they kind of hug, and then the camera like pans out, and it's actually nighttime in the restaurant, in the alternate ending scene, whereas it's like looks like breakfast in the version that we see. Well, I think it's well, maybe the foods. But then when they walk outside, then they walk outside, right. dark. But yeah, and so and then it kind of pans out, and they're like hugging each other, and he's and she like like seems visibly upset, like because she knows he's getting ready to go to college and everything like that, and then that's kind of where it ends. Hmm. So it's it's a little <coughs> bit more dramatic, you know. Um, but I think it also lends to the to the story of that they really did develop feelings. Oh, for I each think other. they absolutely. And did. that it's kind of like a bittersweet, you know. Yeah. You just but meet I this think, person. I think she's time. such a survivalist and complicated person that I think I could see her being torn both ways. And, yeah. Because Guido obviously was still in her life. 
absolutely. And he might still be. That's right. I, I mean, to yeah. get rid of someone like that so easily. I but think I also really, love, along those lines, when Guido comes to sell him all his stuff back, when I was younger, I was like, God, I hate this guy. But now I can appreciate how the, Guido's a funny character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially, and the, 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 that relationship developed between he and Joel, yeah. actually, that when he, when I watched it 20 years ago, or 30 years ago, actually, when he's like, I like you, kid, I was like, bullshit, what an asshole. And now I watch it, I'm yeah. like, no, you get that feeling that he does actually uh, like the kid and everything. Yeah. And so it's strictly I, business with him. Yeah, it, it yeah. has nothing yeah. to do with it because he doesn't take him seriously enough to love him or exactly. hate him. He just yeah. knows he's a kid. Yeah. He's like, oh, kid, I'm, I'm going to go in that house. You I, know, I'm going to get in that house. I love so his, I bother yeah. with, oh, this, yeah. with this pretension. And that's the other thing too. Guido knew where he lived. True. Because he was there prior, so he could have easily went there. Like I said, Vicky could have called and said, "Hey, could've. they're gone." I mean, I think there are other. I like Lana, and I'm sticking to it, and I'm going to defend her. Mm-hmm. So you can do that, but y'all it's, like, can feel it's not going to change my mind about what I think is, happened. Exactly. <laughs> and it isn't going to change my I mind. I like her, too. Right, right. But I still think... <laughs> watch, the, watch the alternate ending, which is actually the true in, intent but, ending, and then tell But he still says no, though. No, I still think they, they love each other, but I don't think... I still think she was involved in the setup. I don't know. <laughs> I still think it was a setup. Well, I think, I think the construction of Lana is supposed to be kind of... I wouldn't say a device, but she's supposed to be mysterious. You're not supposed right. to know yeah, what her right. actual exactly. motivation yeah. is. I think that's yeah. by design. Yeah. The fact that you guys are having that argument is probably exactly what Paul Rickman wanted to do yeah. with that character. And that kind of set the trend. Like, there are two things that this movie set trends for for me in the 80s. This is like one of the first full-fledged 80s films mm-hmm. in terms of what, like all the music and techniques and atmosphere that we kind of associate with an 80s film. I think this is, along with Fast Times, I think really set the tenor. Number one, it's eighty uh, teen movies. I mm-hmm. think it influenced a lot of John Hughes movies that were kind of released yeah. subsequently in one form yeah. or another. It didn't. It's not as those movies aren't as dark as this one, right? And, and maybe not that's even why as I like satirical. This one yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Me too. But I also think it set this trend. I don't know if it set the trend, but there was a slew of films in the mid '80s mm-hmm. about white guys in the inner city that found themselves a fish out of water in out of their heads uh-huh. and. After Hours by Martin Scorsese follows a similar pattern. Um, Something Wild, Jonathan Denny, mm-hmm. Something Wild with Melanie Griffith. Yep. Um, these are obscure movies, but film buffs <coughs> yeah. know yeah. them. And then there is a, a weird movie that nobody knows about with Jeff Goldman called Into the Night. That kind of I saw that. <laughs> that in the theater. Yeah. And, uh, is it Michelle Pfeiffer was yeah. in that. That was like one of their earlier. Yeah, and both it has a bunch of uh, film directors like John Landis and. Uh, yeah, and David Bowie's in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bowie has is a hitman in that movie. Oh, wow. You know? Um, but there was a trend, and I, I love those movies. Like I, they're always yeah. at, at night, and it's always this guy that gets in out of this. Unassuming head. guy. Goes yeah, he goes into the underworld. You know, says what the fuck, and yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. The what the fuck thing takes place yeah. in a lot of these guys. Right. Um, so this is like before all of that, and but it's the most commercially minded of them all. Yeah. Like it's yeah. the one that because of Tom Cruise yeah. and and everything. And well, I think this movie that is just very smart. Mm-hmm. I think it's well done. The dialogue's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's well written. It's like the art movie of teen comedies. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I, it's, it's, I read a Janet Massman review like from the above. Times at the time, and she yeah. hated it. And I'm like, I think if she looked, if she was to look back at it ten years later, she'd yeah. be like, oh, yeah. now I get it. I can see in the time, maybe not appreciating, but if you get a chance, look up it's her review. It's kind of ahead of its time. In I think it was, so too. it's like, like, you either get it or you don't. And like, especially among, uh, not the movie Sean reference, but a lot of the other not good teen <laughs> movies at that time. Yeah. Which there were, there were so many. 
it was just a lot smarter and and and, and more complicated, funny, darker. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It, there's a lot of commentaries on capitalism in this movie, and actually, yes. it almost becomes well, a satire so at that point. Oh, I mean, it is. It's a like, Reagan era. Yeah, no, absolutely, capitalism you know? yeah. and. and <laughs> Living in the suburbs. Materialism. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. materialism. Um, um, yeah. I actually printed out uh, Robert Ebert's review in 1983 oh. about this movie. Oh, cool. And this pretty much sums up in many ways how I feel about it, too. So he says, uh, quote, The very best thing about this movie is the dialogue. Paul Brickman, who wrote and directed, has an ear so good that he even knows what to leave out. This <laughs> is one of those movies where a few words or a single line says everything that needs to be said implies everything that needs to be implied, and gets the laugh. When the hooker tells the kid, oh, Joel, go to school, learn something, <laughs> the precise inflection of these words <laughs> defines their relationship for the next three scenes. The next best thing about the movie is the casting. Rebecca De Mornay somehow manages to take a thankless role, a hooker, with a heart of gold, and turn it into a very specific character. She isn't all good, and she isn't all cliches. She's a very complicated young woman with quirks and insecurities, and a wayward ability to love. I became quietly astounded when I realized that this movie was going to create an original, interesting relationship involving a teenager and a hooker. The teenage kid, who will be called a Dustin Hoffman role, is played by Tom Cruise, who also knows how to imply a whole world by what he won't say, can't feel, and doesn't understand. This is a movie of new faces and inspired insights, with general laughs. It's hard to make a good movie and harder to make a good comedy and almost impossible to make a satire of such popular but mysterious obsessions as guilt, greed, lust, and secrecy. This movie knows what goes on behind closed bathroom doors of the American dream. That's pretty... That's, that's a damn fine That's review. why he was a pretty good that, movie. Yeah, that's why But I that agree. is exactly uh, yeah. how I yeah, feel about I this too. movie. I mean... That review, actually, I used to read Roger Ebert's reviews. I uh, had these books. Yeah, I mean, and he I introduced had, me I to them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I when I would see the post, I didn't see this movie in the eighties because I was way too young. Like mm -hmm. you were yeah, at the right age. Yeah, I was like six <laughs> or seven. Yeah, perfect. Um, I remember seeing though the one shot poster <laughs> in the HBO guides constantly. Mm -hmm. Of the glasses. Yeah. Oh, that's a classic. Yeah. That is a lost art, by the way. The '80s mastered. If there's no. one thing the '80s did well in film, it's the one-shot posters. Those things were amazing. They're yeah. all iconic. Mm -hmm. They were beautifully yeah. designed. Now we get like I, don't, I mean, there are probably some decent posters out, but they don't yeah. strike me as the same yeah. quality. But what really made me want to check it out is when Roger Ebert gave it four stars in that mm -hmm. review that Tony mm -hmm. just read, and I was like, oh, there's, there's more to this movie than just yeah. being a Tom Cruise vehicle. Yeah. Like there, there's probably some substance to this. I will say though. Um, I think, like, a lot of people, I've kind of gone through, I wouldn't say a lot of people, but I've kind of, the Tom Cruise, like, spectrum where you, there's a while where you yeah. just kind of, like, you're like, is he a good actor? And yeah. he's just that one scene, and he's like, man, you know yeah. what? I like Tom Cruise. I like yeah. watching him on, on screen. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's great in this. This I mean, is still yeah, my favorite is. performance. I mean, yeah. And I've liked him in other stuff. I, I know the last movie that he gave a performance, like, yeah, it wasn't an action movie or whatever. He yeah. was so genuine, and yeah. there's, there's a there's a charm about his in this him in this role. He's charming. He's innocent. Mm -hmm. It's before he became Tom Cruise. Well, that's, that's yeah, what right. where, where Greg was yeah. like. Well, it doesn't make sense. Tom Cruise can get laid, but if you watch it, it makes total sense that oh, this guy. Yeah. It, it, well, yeah, maybe he could get laid, but he's so nervous right. and mm -hmm. worried about his future and <laughs> making the wrong move. That that's, I knew that's a guy why. like him in high school. There was a guy that I. Um, 
briefly dated who reminds me so much of Joel. Like, it's yeah. not even funny. Mm-hmm. Comes from the same kind of breeding. Yeah. His house even looked the same. They, they, he lived in, like, one of those beautiful brick home developments, you know, and so far away from anything I've ever known. Um, and he was so concerned with um, – he did go to Duke. I was yeah, in North Carolina at the time. Yeah. Okay. But this was – that was his dream was right to go to Duke. On. He was – Second in our class, and we had a big graduation class, um, and he just, the character, and it's funny because the first time I saw this movie was in high school, kind of around the time that I knew this guy, and I remember seeing it thinking he reminds me so much of him, but um, he wasn't nerdy in, in any way, shape, or form, really, like not, but uh, I don't know, anyway, that same kind of background, and yes, it's, it's interesting how people that, um, that come from that, which is not a bad thing to come from, but how they're very concerned with school and image and what their parents want. And they have this whole life kind of mapped out for them that they feel like they have to follow that path, you know? Um, I was, I guess, kind of like Delana, mm-hmm. minus being a hooker. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, I've been very independent. And I'm glad of... you added that in there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's why I like her so much, guys, because I was once a hooker. You know what's funny about this movie? There is, I don't think there's any high school scenes in this movie. Yeah, there are. There are a couple. Uh, Just I, I love the one in the yeah. hall where she goes, you need a pass and doesn't yeah. care. Like, oh, you know, man. like My this favorite, kind of... <laughs> and I still quote to this day, is when he's... He goes to school and he's waiting, uh, and she, you know, she's at the house mm-hmm. and just waiting for the day to go over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the clock goes back and he's like, God damn it! Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. How about the scene where there's he so like, many quotable lines, but that's yeah. an easy one, but yeah. How about when he kind of like charms his way into getting out early with the nurse? Or he's, it's not a nurse, but she's like a, like a secretary. Do you remember that? When he's trying to get in, I think he's trying to take the SATs or. Oh, goodness. I can't remember exactly now, but he, like, charms her. And that's that's just evidence of how his confidence is building and how he's learning kind of how he can, um, I don't want to say manipulate other people, but for lack of a better way of putting it, manipulate other people. But it's just kind of interesting. Yeah. You start seeing the change in Joel. Mm. Which, by the way, can we talk about his name, Joel Goodson? <laughs> I mean, how perfect is that? He is a good son. Yeah. It's, like, amazing. Like, I he took is. my hat to Paul Brickman on that because... I, I mean, even the first time I saw that, I noticed that, and I was like, oh, the irony, I love it. I just realized, too, the parallels with another Tom Cruise movie, Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, yeah. Think about that. I just yeah. realized that now. <laughs> like, that's, that's true. Dr. Bill is the adult version yeah. of Joel, right. where he's in over his head, he gets into uh, the underworld, far weirder Cannot situation. get laid. No, cannot get laid at all. Beautiful women all around him. Right. <laughs> and everyone hits on him, too. Yeah, you know, exactly. Everyone hits yeah. on him, including, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, who's that actor from uh, who played Nightcrawler in X-Men? He has that scene in Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, uh, uh, famous, like, Broadway actor. Like, he's British. Anyway, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, we'll just call him Hugh Jackman yeah. for now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, uh, we'll just call him that as, as a, as a Wasn't default he an name. X-Men? Yes, uh, he yeah, was. he was an X Men too. And that might be know. one of the last movies I remember. Cruise, or maybe the last ones I've seen, because he did Magnolia and Eyes Wide Shut that year. That's right. Yeah. And then since that's then, right. that was a big year. And a lot of people think after he did Eyes Wide Shut, he's like, all right, I'm just doing Alan Cumming. It's gonna make money. Oh yeah, Alan Cumming, right? Alan Cumming, yeah, yeah. But that movie, like, the character, Tom Cruise's character goes through a similar trajectory, mm-hmm. uh, just like Joel does in this movie. This is a funnier film. Oh, yes. Yeah, but, uh, but uh, it's, yeah. it's kind of similar. So it's, I wonder if, 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 if that's why Kubrick chose him for that movie. That's a good question. Maybe seeing this and like, okay, that quality I like in Cruise where he's mm-hmm. in over his head, mm-hmm. that's going to work in this film, too. 
The one thing, too, I, I, I love about this movie, well, there's so many things I love mm-hmm. about this movie, but I do like how it manages to, to kind of weave in different genres. You know, we have a little bit of drama, we have comedy, mm-hmm. we have romance, we have some suspense. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the teenage element, but this movie's also very adult. Mm-hmm. And I just think that it was really well, it's just so well done. I, I like that when you can appeal to, when you can take a, a focus that should be a teenage focus and also make it really entertaining for adults, whether you're looking back on what it was like mm-hmm. when you were that age or you're just kind of watching the story. I think that that's really neat. There, are, you know, every every scene brings something different. You know, it isn't like like a goofball comedy, but mm-hmm. it's all but it's very witty. You know, it's not so much drama that. Oh my there's goodness. a lot of there's not a lot of well this is what should happen next yeah, yeah. I mean if, if, if somebody if you watch it with somebody who hadn't seen it well actually Greg when I watched with him as we went along he's like oh I haven't seen this whole movie so he was definitely yeah. like oh I didn't I didn't think that was going to happen I didn't, think that, I didn't see that coming kind yes. of stuff so it keeps you on, it, it keeps you interested. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did not follow the roadmap of a lot. No, of, again, bad eighties. And and to tie yeah. into what Roger Ebert said about um, how Paul Brickman does a great job. He has an ear so good that he knows what to leave out. Mm-hmm. That really stuck with me when I saw that because one of the things that I said to Scott when we watched this the other night because it was the first time you had kind of really seen it, right, Scott? Like really. No, I've seen it. it before, but it's been a long time. It's been a long time. Yeah. And one of the things I said to him is, I said, um, one of my favorite scenes is the scene where he first meets Alana, and you know they have sex, not because of that, but you really focus on the sex <laughs> scenes. And here's, I, that's what I did at sixteen. Right. Here's what I said I love so much about <laughs> it, and this is the comment I made. I said the, I love the direction of this movie. I said in that sex scene really stood out to me, even as a young girl, because of what they left out. Mm. They didn't show you the sex. Instead, as soon as he goes over to her and starts touching and music's amazing mm-hmm. and it's like this dreamlike scene come to life, they they pan out to the hallway and it shows pictures uh-huh. of him as a baby growing up. Mm. And just the, the irony of this little, we're watching this little boy become a man in the next room. It's just so well done. And then you see real quickly them on the staircase a little bit, but then it fades out and you just mm-hmm. continue to see the house and photos of him. And then it um, ends with the, which the chair, you don't see yeah. anymore now. You, the national anthem being played on yes. TV goes off the air, which it goes still the happened air. then. It's just, it's just such a relative um, scene and I just think it was brilliantly done. I think, it's yeah, tasteful. Yeah. It's, it's everything that a sex scene really should be. Tasteful but still sexy. Yes. And he still, leaves. Gets in all those yes. other things you mentioned. Right. You know, that, yeah. That, it's what he leaves that. out that makes it so great. Like, yeah. I don't need to see them banging. No. You know what I mean? Instead, he's, I've got this interest in, oh my goodness, like, wow, mm. this is really good. Like, I love that. And I put, you know, the hallway scene of pictures is just so mm. great. Even the scene on the train, you know, you, you know what they're doing, mm. but there's so much going on in that. What are they doing, Tom? <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> Uh, you know, no, I mean, yeah, my point yeah, is, yeah, is that yeah. is not the focus of the scene the yeah. act is not the focus whereas so many movies today it just goes straight to that and I think Brickman does a great job of leaving that out even though it's so much a part of the story mm-hmm. um, you know and, and he draws our attention to other things and he heightens our senses in other ways you know the soundtrack the Tangerine Dream music mm-hmm. that we hear throughout this movie it, it, it has a dream like quality to itself mm-hmm. that makes this movie seem like it just fits the nocturnal nature of the movie, and it makes you feel like you're in a dream. I love it. Mm. I want to be in this world. Like, well, you know? I, I actually think this might be a dream because that scene when he first meets uh, mm. Lana, right. the door opens. Yes. That is that's not real. I know. That, that is, that is clearly yeah. meant to be a dream. And he sequence. was sleeping on the couch when she 
Right. She gets you could. Uh, there's probably a theory That's out true. there that this movie is, is yeah. Joel's dream because oh. it opens with dream sequences about his fears. That's yes. right. Of, yeah. of, the dream is always the same. Right. I, I have that with Joel. Like I'm a guy that always worries about doing the wrong thing or being uh-huh. caught in the situation, yeah. so I can barely relate, completely relate to a lot of those scenarios. Well, it's yeah. like, oh no, people are going to find out. I didn't think about it until now, but that the dream, at least that first time to have sex being a dream, makes sense because mm-hmm. him being a virgin. <laughs> There's no way yeah. he's gonna go all night. Home no, with right, her. exactly. And there's yeah. no way. There's yeah. no way he's gonna like approach her the way he did. He seemed like a confident man who had done this before yeah. when he first came behind yeah. her. You know, that makes sense. That that might be the way yeah. he remembers it, but right. it's probably not the that's way. True. And his behavior is nothing like what we saw before. Yeah. Either. You're absolutely like, right. Yeah, that's a great point. Which makes it even better. I mean, maybe they never. Maybe they never. That's Thirty years later, I couldn't approach yeah. a woman that. I think they did because remember the next morning she says, "Did you have fun last night, Joel?" Mm-hmm. You know, and he's like, yeah. "Oh yeah," and he gets real shy and he kind of turns into that little boy again. You know, he's it, like, it, starts laughing. It could be that's how he envisioned this maybe. going. Yeah. Like in his head, this is well, the ideal of what he wanted. That my favorite part is the second time they have that conversation after she stays over the second time and she's like, "Did you have a good time?" He's like, "You mean, yeah, earlier?" Uh-huh. She's like, "You know what I mean?" He's like. Yeah. Yeah, and then he gets that look on his face. Do I owe you money? Do I have to pay you money? And then and she gets really mad. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. And it just shows... She says, did right. I ask you to pay me? Exactly, and that just shows how... Yeah. And I think that's another thing Brickman's doing, which is he's established it's his kid and a hooker, but really, They're that's, the any, that's yeah. any relationship yeah. for two young people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, they don't ever say yeah. her age, but she's still I think a she's young like, woman. I feel like she's like maybe 20 yeah, but not she's much still, older than him. But she still doesn't yeah. have her stuff together either. Absolutely. So I think it's that same kind of thing. Yeah. That's like, and in being in her profession, all that she probably hasn't had that many relationships or something no, or something like I don't want to say because we know she had a bad bad home life and all that. Well, and I don't want to say. I mean, they just met, so you don't want to say that their first encounter was deeply meaningful. But right. as the film progresses and they do start developing right. feelings, I think there's it gets more meaningful. Yes, and it's probably been a long time, if ever, where she maybe right. had a meaningful. Uh, connection with someone so that also kind of ties into my theory a little bit about how they helped each other you know I think mm-hmm. they were kind of there for each other in ways that they didn't really know they needed someone to be there yeah. for them in you two lost souls yeah well their personalities completely fit their backgrounds mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. Joel comes from oh, a yeah. perfect family yeah. like I, I am a Joel Scott and, Scott and I are Joels you know we grew up in a, uh, almost a pitch perfect home I'm a Billy Joel yeah you're a Billy Joel that's good you're a Long Island kid you know, you know, you know former boxer you're a Joel Holland yeah I'm, I'm, I'm Joel Holland right I'm a side man for, for Squeeze you know and I host a BBC show so I'm, I'm really show. Good. it's a fantastic show you know, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, we were <laughs> we were we were Joel's. I was a Billy Joel, you know. But um, we, um, you know, we, we had a pitch perfect family. We grew up really well. Chaos bothers us greatly. Mm-hmm. Like we like things to be stable. Like I'm chaotic with our comedy and stuff, right, but we sure. like things stabilized. What I've known of people that come from broken homes is they're completely comfortable with chaos, mm-hmm. and they even act chaotically because yeah. that's their comfort yeah. zone. They are very uncomfortable mm-hmm. with stability. And I think that it's, Lana and, and Joel are kind of like yeah, that. It's yeah. not a right or wrong, just their backgrounds reflect right. how they react to things. Right, and I think that's what's well, fascinating about the relationship, and from a, whether it's from a Hooker and John, but it yeah. moves beyond that very quickly. I think it's still very, uh, it's a guy and a girl. Yeah. And they're yeah. a young guy and a girl who yeah. don't know how any of this works. Mm-hmm. No. And they're trying to figure out, and yeah. Yeah. Well, well, and I do agree with, with the heart of what you're saying, but as someone who comes from a broken home, my parents divorced when I was young, and I moved around a lot. Um, I was... 
I will say I was I was maybe raised well I don't know we don't know how Lana was raised right, right I was very she fortunate. just mentioned her stepfather slept with her or hit yeah. on her yeah. well, exactly so my I like that they don't go to, they don't feel there's no need to go to the supermarket yeah. right yeah you know we, 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 that's not the, the idea yeah, yeah I get what's going on here. I mean I I had the fortune of I think being raised very well considering some of the situ like mm-hmm. circumstances and stuff and moving around a lot well yeah so supposedly you were never a hooker no I was never a hooker but I will but I will the one thing I will say is someone being a woman and being someone who kind of grew up in a very revolving childhood. Yeah. I moved around like every two years it seemed like we were moving. It's not that we're uncomfortable with stability, it's just we're more <laughs> accepting of change. I think yeah. than mm. than folks like Joel who have right. everything mapped out. Any the, like a fork in the road throws them off. Whereas people who have moved around a lot and have were comfortable, we're adaptable. It's right. easier for us to meet a new person. It's easier for us to make new friends. It's easier for us that's to... That's true. Lana yeah. can roll with anything. Exactly. Right. But she still has problems with relationships. Yeah. I guess the difference, though, is... Uh, you're absolutely right. Like the, Those people probably are adaptable. I, I think you know it's not encapsulates everybody. But I think Lana initiates chaos. She's not just adapting to chaos. Right. She's the one initiating a lot of that mm-hmm. stuff. And I think that comes from... The door's going to drop underneath me anyway... So I'm just going to cause it to drop. I've met people like that that just, and they have similar backgrounds yeah. to Lana, where they had a troubled background mm-hmm. or dysfunction. Well, and I, I think but Joe welcomes yeah. the chaos, and he enjoys it. He does. He oh, he does, does. but that's yeah. because he's oh, never he had it before. It. This is all exactly. new. He's a teenager. But he also, yeah. he be, you know, he was involved in the Future Enterprisers. I think he enjoyed the business aspect of it. I think, oh, he, yeah. you know, he. It was really. I mean, <clears throat> it was chaos for his perfect world, but I think it definitely was not an environment that that he didn't. One like and two would ever not be a part of again, if that makes sense. Oh, he'd definitely do it again. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Like he, he even says, "My name's Joel. I deal in human fulfillment." Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, he gives it. You know, this classy terminology, which which is which is true for it. But I think you know, people. Um, everybody has uh, you know a wild side. Everybody has a curious side, and um, you know, despite your background, I think everybody oh, can yeah. identify with. The excitement of meeting someone new. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. You know, and doing something like really um, brazen like that because that was really brazen to do. And then him still meeting with the Princeton guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and we saw this totally different side of Joel. <laughs> we saw a totally different person. And and the funny thing that I want to point out and what I'm saying is at the end, his dad says he said Princeton can use a guy like Joel. Mm-hmm. So it, it's making a it's making jo- if anything it's telling Joel hey be who you really are. Because who you really are is what people like. Mm-hmm. And it's okay, even though it's not what mom and dad want or what you think is suitable or mm-hmm. whatever. You know, showing, being, taking a risk. Hence the name, Risky Business. Mm-hmm. Taking a risk is, is good to do. It's good for your soul, you know, and you never know what could come out of it. If you play it safe too often, you know, you might just get so caught up with playing it safe that you forget to live. I've known people yeah. like that too. Mm-hmm. But I also think this movie says there's balance because it says there uh, are consequences yep. to these actions yeah. too. Oh, like absolutely. It, yeah. As is as in real life. Yes. Yeah. There's a Guido in every yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, this movie is a movie, and it probably the way that it ended and the way that it worked out is probably not like it would ever no. happen in real life. No. A lot of his motivation for doing things, though, even though it goes on the wild side, is. He doesn't want his parents getting upset because he only goes to find Lana because he's got to get that egg. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then he gets into the crazy business. And the, the only car, reason he does the thing yeah. is because of the car. If mm-hmm. that doesn't happen, then yeah. a lot of stuff doesn't. But happen. at the end, though, after he realizes oh, he's happy he gets into Princeton, I think, and the way that his dad said, 
they could use a guy like you mm. just to kind of the, the, yeah. the it's again it's what Brickman doesn't say that says everything how Joel responds to that and then the scene that he has with Lana and you get the impression that like that experience obviously changed him and hopefully he'll uh, he'll do really well at Princeton but hopefully he'll do it on his own terms my favorite piece of dialogue that I just really I, I always liked it before but this time I really loved it and I think it speaks to what you're talking about when where it says and doesn't say is when uh, the, but right before they go on the choo-choo yeah. and he's like and he's on the phone with his parents he's like well do I have a girlfriend mm-hmm. and her answer is yes no. no well he says do I have a girlfriend yes no maybe yeah. and she says yes no maybe while she's putting the moves on him and that's all you need to know mm-hmm. yeah. you still don't know that she's yeah. his girlfriend but Janelle well she does eventually say yes I think shortly after that she like backs away because I remember her standing by the hallway and he said something to her I think he says you know are you my girlfriend and she smiles and says yes she finally does say yes yeah. And it's a sweet, it's a sweet moment, you know. I love the the banter, and and I I just I love that scene um, when they're working together like that because it's just so well, great. And this, when that's when Joel's like uh, Barry handled treasury. Uh, he loved the way her mind. Yes, worked. yes, he says that he loved yeah. the way her mind. Exactly, and I I think that that's great. You know, when you have a, it says a lot about a couple who can work together mm-hmm. and be successful mm-hmm. and support each other and be teammates, like mm-hmm. be partners. That. Mm-hmm. That is really important because it's easy to just be lustful with someone. Well, and I think in that instance, you forget that what they're doing. Yeah. And you totally forget that the parents are right for the picture. At that point, you're so far down the road that you forget about that, and which is. And then, how about the scene when he's with the Princeton guy and Lana comes in and says, Mm -hmm. Here, we need this room. You know, just, I mean, and Mm -hmm. then she kind of hangs around for a little bit. Yeah. Um, I love, by the way, the parents in this movie, and I love the scenes yeah. with the parents because yeah. it's filmed from his point of view. Yeah, and yeah. I wish he saw more of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that was a technique that's been employed in other sure. films, but it's really effective yeah. here. And that is where the influence of the Graduate really hits home yeah, for me is yeah. when I see the parents, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, because they are straight out of you know. The, and I forgot about that scene being filmed that way. It, me too. I haven't watched it in a while. I was like, oh yeah, this is great. That's yeah. clever. Yeah. yeah. At the airport. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where it's like point of view. And then finally, she turned it back to him. Yeah. And, and it, it's funny because, like, you, he loves his parents, and his parents mm-hmm. clearly love him, but they're also just their roles and, uh, and just minor roles. Yeah. It's not even major roles, they're minor yeah. roles. Like, the stereo is yeah. turned way up. Yeah. Too much yeah. trouble. Too much trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Think, yeah. Right? Were you listening to this? You hear this? <laughs> yeah. My, my dad never complained about us playing it, by the way, that <laughs> loud. I mean, we were allowed to play it pretty loud. I think. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, God, when I think about that, is it that the Ferris Bueller? Military dad is oh, the same yeah, yeah, exactly. Like he's that anal, knowing everything, don't touch anything, mm. having a nice car. Uh, but he doesn't notice that his Porsche is new or fixed or repaired. Right, right. Which you would know, you know. Yeah, and, I, and I, this is the thought I had, and I, I had my own answer, but how long do you think the parents are gone? Do they say? Oh, that was, I was just thinking about how big it was. I think it's gotta be, I think it's gotta be two week. weeks. Yeah. Because there's two no weekends. way. There's no way that car gets repaired no. at any shop no. anywhere that well in a week. There's no way the, re- the furniture is replaced within a day, yeah, you right. know, much but less that. She gives them 50 bucks for a week. <laughs> well, back in 1983, that would get you groceries. I probably could have yeah. made it work back. I probably yeah. did make that work back in the 80s you probably when, did, when yeah. I was in college. But, yeah. But yeah. I, I, yeah I, I $50 then is probably a, a little over 100 now, maybe. I didn't understand yeah. why he didn't know Maybe that. almost 200 now. I mean, that's... Well, and they had the, the, the refrigerator. The, they had plenty of food. Yeah, she said that. She said it was in 1983. 1983. Yeah, I can find out. 
Which, the other thing I want to touch on here is, hello, Lana's wardrobe. Every outfit I want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, I love it. And that's the thing I love she about her, She was not working the, the side streets. She no, was, she yeah. was beautiful. Yeah. Oh, and she dressed well, and mm -hmm. she carried herself classy like a lady. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be a hooker, hey, do it like Lana, because she was a high class. Um, yeah. You know, you never saw her looking frumpy. I mean, even when, yeah. even no. the scene where she's wearing Joel's Princeton shirt in the morning, she mm -hmm. looks so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to be Lana. I want every outfit that she owns. <laughs> so it was uh, $123 today. Oh, okay. So, wow. I mean, so that's right. $60 a week if you have two weeks. If I was... Yeah. Well, I don't understand, though. Person. To buy any food. I'm not how does he not know how... Uh, He's 18. He doesn't know how microwave dinners work. I, that part I, mean, I still can't get because past. Because his mom yeah, probably strange. made every meal. He probably I mean, never had to really cook. Really and hammering the point home. Is it a Salisbury steak that's frozen and he starts eating it? Yeah, he just picks it up. I don't understand. Yeah, that's I, I, I don't understand. understand. That's, that's a level of, like, denseness. Like, <laughs> even if he didn't know, you knew it wasn't cooked and it wasn't yeah. edible. Well, then later he makes the TV dinners for Laura yes. and Vicky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so he figured it out. Yeah. Lana yeah, might have helped him too. That's, that's true. For all but we when know. he's trying to eat the frozen one, I was just like, "Because <laughs> remember, she's <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, I just can't get on board with that." Yeah, she uh, she made him breakfast. Remember that? Oh, one that's scene? right. She did. She's cooking. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he just takes it off like it's that's, gonna be ready. That's to go. like a coming heads move, you know. <laughs> Like the alien comes out of Earth. Yeah, and thing. that's definitely a part. Yeah, yeah, I can't get on board. With that. that was probably just for a humorous effect. Yeah, I think it was. Because then it goes right into something else. Because then you see him pouring the his drink where it's like. Yeah. Ninety-eight percent uh, rum and two percent. Why does Dad know that he's drinking this rum? That's the thing. I, that's what I'm saying. Who knows? Uh, yeah. Some parents wouldn't. Someone. The yeah. scariest scene is how quickly the mom figures out there's a oh, scratch yeah. on yeah. the yeah. egg. Yeah. Yeah. That because, tells you how anal his parents are. Yeah, she knew it immediately. As soon as he's, and I love that because for comedic effect. All this time, they've, he's planned it so diligently mm -hmm. to make it seem yep. as if nothing happened, and he almost pulls it off. But his mom immediately sees a scratch on that egg and knows something's up. And then the dad's cool because he kind of yeah. takes his side yeah. a little bit. And, yeah. you know. He did more stuff to the dad. He's probably drinking his whiskey. He crashed his car. Crashed his car. Yeah. 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 He played old time rock and roll. Probably <laughs> pushed the truck yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. Yep. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but. They also hammer, I like how they hammer home the egg because she hands him the egg mm -hmm. and he's looking at it and he, he kind of does like a motion yeah. like, I yeah. don't see anything. Yeah. I don't know what yeah. she's And I love the scene where he catches it, that the slow motion, yeah. stepping yes. on the piano, all that. I love that shot. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Guido saying, good luck in the future because God yeah. knows you're going to need it. And then, again, there's three neighborhood kids just watching. Yes. Just watching that whole exchange. Both of those please. are great. Both of those are great. Like, yeah. he lives in the suburbs. This is going on. Noisy, nosy neighbors. Yep. yep. And Joe, was it Pantolino? Pantolino. Yeah, Pantolino. He was like the yeah. Steve Buscemi of the eighties. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Was kinda, he, I think in this year he was in this and Eddie and the Cruisers. If you yeah. Because yeah. I remember seeing movies. him in a constantly yes. in the eighties, yeah. like Midnight Run. I think. Oh, he is. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's in yeah. that. And is he in the Fugitive of Tommy Lee Jones? He yes. Yes, yes, he is. Yeah, he has a very distinct voice. How about yeah. uh, the Matrix? I like the scene oh. where Miles says. Um, I have a trig to, a trig term tomorrow. I'm getting chased by Guido. The <laughs> In the trailer for it, that I was like the, that. the big yeah. laugh line. <laughs> Guido, the killer. And Curtis Armstrong, he's great. But oh, yeah. Yeah. when I see, see him, even then, I was like, that guy's like 25. Why did, how does he have a trig? Yeah. yeah, like Tom Cruise yeah. looks young. Yes. And especially with his haircut the way yeah. it is. Like, 
he I think he was young. 10 years older than Tom Cruise. Hollywood always makes, makes teenagers so much more sophisticated they than are, actual yeah, teenagers. Yeah. Like, they all look like uh, like Second City comedians, mm-hmm. essentially. Well, I was thinking about that because I then I compared to, like, Dawson's Creek, where they were a little bit older. Yeah. They were, Dawson was 15 years later. 30, playing, like, a 16 year old. Eventually. But yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I like, I do like Barry, Bronson Pitcher, Yeah. Because he just goes with the flow of the whole mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Like, anything that's happened, yeah. he just kind of goes with it. This was, I think, his first film role, too. I think so. And then later in the year, Beverly Hills Cop, he was in that. Right. He could do accents. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Accents that we can't pinpoint. He was in After Hours. That's a link with those two movies in the very beginning. Um, Mark Lynn Baker was taking off at this time too with uh, <laughs> my, my favorite, favorite year. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> the, the stars were aligning for perfect as, strangers. As much as I knocked the movies of the eighties, the there's more we talk about it, there's a lot. Of yeah, there's like a lot of good movies because yeah, we're not talking about all the terrible. Ones. Yeah, well, I think a lot of that too is we're leaving out uh, what's his name. Yeah, well, we all grew up. The in guy that. I don't understand. <laughs> the guy I don't get. Oh. Dreyfus. Oh, oh Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> well, actually, uh, Curtis Armstrong has the Richard Dreyfus role in this yes. movie. In a yeah, way, you're right. Know, he does. He does. Uh, same voice. Like I, I, I was listening to Curtis Armstrong. Like he sounds very similar <laughs> to Richard Dreyfus. But way better. Yeah. You like Curtis Armstrong better? Uh, he was on Moonlighting. I think he went on it? to play Booger, of course, in Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah. yeah. When I was, oh yeah, Richard. I think this is '87. So I'm whatever out of high school, but. There were some girls at the pool when I would go, and they, they would call me Booger. <laughs> yes. I, I, lo- I do that like you, him in this movie. I, my Greg Kinnear, I'll take that much more with Booger. But. Oh, I like Greg Kinnear. Though I Kinnear. love Curtis Armstrong. Yeah. He was uh, in Moonlighting, too. He was like yeah. side, he was, yeah, like, uh, the two side know, characters yeah. to uh, yeah. Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard. So he was too. always like the supporting, the best Oh, yeah. He's like a quintessential character. supporting yeah. guy. Yeah, and he kind of went away, but he's kind of been back, and he does a lot of voice work now, too. Oh, that's yeah. Yeah, He's like... Uh, to get back to him playing a 16 year old, even though he's 25, he's an American dad. He's one of the young kids. Oh, sick wow. Friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a great character actor. Yeah. I mean, he's best known for, now for Revenge of the Nerds, like yeah. you said. Oh. And, uh, he was in Better Off Dead. He was the. Oh, he's right. Yeah. Do you know the street value of this? Uh, yeah. yeah. I guess he played Ahmet uh, Erdogan in The Foray, apparently. Oh, oh. <laughs> the famed record uh, executive. You know, he, he played him. I haven't seen Ray, so I wouldn't yeah, have known that either. had I not seen that tidbit. Huh. I think I've seen it, but I don't. Wasn't paying that much it. attention. Yeah. Yeah. It's also in Dodgeball. Oh, there you yeah, go. Dodgeball. It's very small. And they win their first tournament. He's the guy who, the commissioner of that little league. Ah. ah. Who is the actor I in like this? I Patches. Who, the guy in Dodgeball. Wasn't this made Patches? He was like the oh, coach. Oh, the coach, yeah. Yeah. Patches of Hulahan? Yeah. Is that Stephen Root? Uh, that was, uh, uh, no, uh, Rip Torn. Rip Torn. He was Catch funny. One yeah, of the he worst like people in the world. He was in a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah. Who was the actor who played, oh, is it Richard Mazur? Is that his name? Mazur? Oh, yeah, was the... He's the, the Princeton, yeah. uh, you yeah. know. He was, uh, also president of the, the Academy at one time. Or the, oh, I'm sorry, the head of the Actors Union. He was okay. in a lot of movies. And he yeah, he's one day at a time. Yeah. original One Day at a Time also. Yeah, he My was. girl, too. <laughs> he was. He was the Uncle Philip or something. Yes. It's he great. Stephen King's it. It's great when you watch the opening. The, the original opening credits for One Day at a Time where he gets into a car wreck with, uh, what's her name? Who's the, who's the actress from Bonnie Franklin? Yeah, Bonnie yeah. Franklin. And yeah. he's just like oh, doing right. that shtick of just like looking around and said, that, there, there's a career right there for this guy. Yeah. She's also another person who has that like everyday face that you see in so many things. Uh-huh. And it's. You're just Body kind of, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she does, yeah. Although I don't really, really only know her from one day at a time. I don't think I've seen her yeah, much after that. A lot of 
I feel like Lifetime just, movies and Toro. Yeah. Yes, yeah, Lifetime movies. She just has that like face. Kind of like yeah. that guy. Right. They just so, show up yeah. and you're like, oh, I know mm-hmm. that guy. I feel like that's what they do with sitcom actresses. They recycle them for Lifetime yes. films after their career yep. peak. Like Meredith yeah. Baxter, mm-hmm. Bernie, yeah. I'm sure has yeah. done a lot of those. Tiffany yeah. Edward Thiessen, Tori Yeah, Sally. Justine Nelly. Bateman. You yeah, know. Nelly, Nelly, yeah. Uh, Melissa Gilbert. Did we already say Melissa Gilbert? Oh, yes, yeah, Melissa Gilbert. Exactly. Kelly Martin. The entire Facts of Life cast, which put them all together as one. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is what's great at, at like a movie like this is I think it spearheaded a lot of careers. Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. You know, Tom Cruise being by far the biggest, right. but you know, even people like Ronson Pinchot and Curtis Armstrong mm-hmm. were recognizable faces throughout the eighties. You know, Pinchot had his own sitcom. Regardless of what yeah. you think of the sitcom, right. yeah. he had one. You know, yeah. which most people didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the biggest career thing for this, for me, with this movie is Paul Brickman. Because yeah. I started reading about Paul Bergman, I was like, well, obviously he had to do other things mm-hmm. other than risky mm-hmm. business because this was a huge critical and commercial yeah. hit. And there's nothing. Yeah, it's weird. And it's I like, you've got I, everything I, out right there, and that was it. That doesn't happen. Yeah. This is not a, a mm-hmm. common occurrence. Like, the only other time I can remember, I think there's a guy named, I think it was Stuart Gordman, I think his name is Student Gordon, who directed Arthur. And he died right after Arthur. Oh, okay. but, but that makes sense. Yeah. He died. Yeah. Brickman cool. just stepped away from the business he said he got so overwhelmed by the attention yeah. of this movie he just knew he wasn't was fit huge. for Hollywood yeah that's kind of like the director who wrote and directed The Heathers Michael Wayman I believe is his name yeah although that, that was more her that was kind of like all he did was The Heathers which oh. was not really a hit at the time but such a great movie now but yeah. I mean he, it was just kind of that was his he, thing he got it out there and then that was that well what actually happened with him was he directed a movie called Hudson Hawk with oh, Bruce Willis, right. right after, like a few oh, years after, I it was uh, it was not just a bomb; it was a high-profile bomb. Was that a parody, or was it supposed to be a satire? Yeah, I think it was. I haven't seen it, but I know. Did that he write that movie, or did he just direct it? I don't know if he wrote it. I think he he definitely directed it. Because with Heather's, he actually wrote it. Yeah, he was a. Um, was it Daniel Waters, a screenwriter was, too, on Heather's? I don't know, but I know Michael Lehman. He like wrote this movie while he was working at like a blockbuster. That's what I read. Heather's is a great movie, yeah. but Hudson Hawk, I guess, what happens sometimes, I think some directors, they have this big, high concept yeah. idea. It's like, oh, I had this hit, now I'm going to show them what I can really yeah, do. Yeah, but the Heather's and, really wasn't a hit when it came out. But it was I, kind of like a black comedy. People didn't really know how to... Yeah, it did well enough it. that he got Hudson yeah. Hawk. I, I, think, I think there's like two different degrees of success in Hollywood. There's the people who have these big, massive hits, like, uh, let's say, you know, Spielberg directs Jaws, Spielberg yeah. set for life. Yeah. But I also think there's like the, the critical or cult success mm-hmm. where insiders in Hollywood say, man, I really loved Heather's. Right. I know it wasn't a big hit, but I love that movie. Yeah. And this guy has great talent, so we're going to give Take him control. You know, and it happens like Paul Thomas Anderson's a director yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Wes Anderson. Absolutely. They don't have yeah. the biggest tits, but they have such a pedigree with mm. certain people. Well, mm. Hudson Hawk was... Well, I had Bruce Willis in 1991 with Andy McDowell, so it was going to be a fairly big blockbuster, and if it doesn't do well, I can really... No. That, was a, that wasn't it. Uh, Sandra Bernhardt, James Coburn. Oh, Sandra Bernhardt. Frank Stallone's in it. <laughs> I think I know why now. <laughs> failed. Uh, but that was a period, like, not to sidetrack too much, but in the early 90s were like these big, high profile flops. That mm-hmm. was one of them. Yeah. The other one was Bonfire of the Vanities. Oh, it was yeah. a big, yeah. big, got a lot of attention for flopping yeah. Yeah. big time. It was with Tom Hanks and uh, I think Morgan Freeman and, and Bruce Willis again, Bruce Willis, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, Brickman was just one of those guys that just stepped away after a hit. And uh-huh. I think he directed a movie a few years later, but it was got mediocre reviews. And he probably had been around way too long to. Yeah, I want, yeah. I, it reminds me, and this guy hasn't disappeared, but the guy who did Die Darko, Richard Kelly. Mm-hmm. Like he's done, he's written a couple scripts and directed a couple cool things, but like mm-hmm. he hasn't. And again, that wasn't a huge hit; it was more cult hits. Yeah. But I feel like he had so many ideas and he crammed them all in there. Maybe he didn't have many more after that, and he yeah. still. I yeah. saw some of Southland Tales, which was really good. My brother really loves that movie, but um, but yeah, it's it's still different. He's still doing stuff, but yeah, yeah this guy, yeah, I I thought the same thing about the risky business guy. I know it just it's just rare that somebody has a success and yeah. then doesn't do anything afterwards yeah. ever. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like a Salinger thing almost. Yeah. Like you know, yeah. you have this big hit, and that kind of adds some mystique to him. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's but people don't think of him, but. When you think, go into it, it's like, that's kind of cool that this yeah. guy just stepped away from risky it's, business. Uh, you know? Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. If, he just, well, if that was his yeah. plan, like, all right, I did good enough, I'm out. But yeah, yeah it's hard to say. Well, but, also, too, if you just, like he said, he made the comment, he just didn't feel like Hollywood was for him. I yeah. mean, that. Why are you going to stay around if, right. if it's not for he you? You're not going to, yeah, you're not going to hang around. Mm hmm. One of the things I like about this movie, and I know Tony is a big fan, is the soundtrack. I'm not just yeah. talking about the pop soundtrack. Right. I mean, Tangerine Dream fantastic. is yeah. fantastic. It's I mean, this is the most atmospheric '80s soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just hits the perfect '80s yeah. like yeah. score. It sets it in the '80s, but regardless of that, it's so great for the movie. It is. It just, it, oh, the music! I love it. I can't imagine with other any other with like a orchestral kind of score or any kind of other kind of no, or an action movie kind of because the movie kind of has a quirkiness and a yeah. dreamlike quality to itself that just fits in with the mood of the movie and I'm all about the mood and I absolutely love it when a movie soundtrack marries the content of mm. the movie you know and I think this is done beautifully that's partly why you know Twin Peaks I love the music so much it just matches the world of Twin Peaks and I think this music is the same mm-hmm. for the world of um, Risky Business mm-hmm. you know you hear that music you instantly think of it of the movie I mean whenever you're listening to it and it just there's that 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 kind of pop synthesized new wave electronic music um, fits this sort of cutting edge really ahead of its time movie. And it sets a tone right in that opening yes. shot on the train. Mm-hmm. You see Chicago yeah. that night and you hear that music. and Yeah. Yeah. You know what you're in for. It, it, it's beautiful. It has, it has aged beautifully, too. Even though it's the 80s, it, yeah. it still has a great effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only other soundtrack that I'm, I'm... I know that they did a, a, quite a few in the 80s, right? Yeah. Like, I know Legend was one with Tom Cruise, yeah. too. Or they did the Legend. It's a very different movie. Yeah, it's a very completely different... Probably not <laughs> ill-fitting for that movie, too. Yeah, you know. probably. Um, that movie's ill-fitted in general. <laughs> yeah. But... I've never seen the whole thing. I saw it 20 minutes. Either have I. <laughs> Back then, I really... I was like, oh, well, I'd be interested in seeing it. Then it was gone. I just remember Tim Curry in the Tim double Curry's outfit. Yeah. I think Mia Sara from Ferris Bueller. Yes. the girl in it. Yeah, she's in. There's a great... There is a great sequence in there where I think she... It's a fantasy movie. It's a fairy tale yeah. movie. And, and she's... Uh, in some dance sequence with a dress. I remember oh, that yeah. before he meets yeah, yeah. Tim Curry. I thought that was pretty yeah. effective, but that's all I really remember. There's a movie called Legend that came oh, out. Tom Cruise was actually probably his follow up to this movie. I think it was, yeah. Uh, but it was a flop. It, it didn't yeah. do well and everything. I never saw it. Oh. It's not a legend. No, <laughs> it is a legend. It's, and a legend, it's not yeah. a legend, you know. Um, so what do you what do you guys think overall about the movie? I think we kind of gave an impression, but yeah. does it still hold up for you? Like with how it's yeah, you know, uh, I, it? like I said, I think I, I'd like it even more now, and I can look at it with my sixteen year old eyes, but now my much older eyes. Uh, 
it's much even funnier yeah uh for me one i again like i said i don't have the anxiety of one being a teenager but two just the anxiety about how's it how's he gonna get out of these situations I, one i already know he is cause I'm <laughs> two um yeah all that stuff's just much more funnier um and i think it yeah i feel like a lot of the issues he has are probably the same for teenagers now and, and definitely for young lovers or any lovers that man yeah. and woman getting together so um I think it screws his best performance, like I said earlier. It's my favorite. Um, you know, it's before it became it's before it became Tom Cruise. He was yeah. uh-huh. just Tom Cruise then. Uh, and I think that yes. that shines through. Um, Rebecca DeMornay is so perfect mm-hmm. in it. Um, yeah, and all those other aspects we talked about. I, I just love the different, uh, whether it's the Tangerine Dream music or the, the, you know, the parents, you know, that the point of view in that scene. Just so many jump away, like the dreams he has. There's just so many different sequences um, you know, you have the one montage of him, you know, uh, running marketing and all that and talking to all the guys and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I think it holds up. I mean, you definitely know you're watching an 80s movie, yeah. but it's a not a way. victim of it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. There's a timeless quality to it as well, mm-hmm. not just because of the story. Mm-hmm. It's so relatable in any time, in any place in the world. Um, but even though it is it is very 80s, it's the great 80s, you know, and there's a timelessness to it, I think. And I forgot how much I used to quote it and still quote this movie on a weekly basis. Sometimes you just yeah. gotta say There's so many great yeah. lines. The yeah, there's just so many uh, good little uh, throwaway lines and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think... Um... You know, one of the qualities I really like about this movie is the cinematography and mm-hmm. that it takes place at night and they do such a great job. I mean, I've been to Chicago and I've taken the trains in Chicago. Mm-hmm. They don't look nearly as sexy or as <laughs> exotic sure. as they do in well, this movie. Well, maybe in 83 they looked better. Yeah, they probably uh, did. Uh, not at night, especially at night, you know. Yeah, uh, Colleen and I rode them when we went to see her brother, or the last two times we were there, and even at 3.30 in the morning, at least on a Saturday... You were not alone. You had plenty yeah. of people around. Yeah. There's a number of people. In some there. ways, that's good at 3.30 in the morning. In some yeah. ways, yeah. well, if you want to do what they want to do, it's yeah. not a good thing. It's not good. They so, carried that guy off the train. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I do love the aesthetics of it. I love yes. the nocturnal, that, that energy, and I love the Tangerine Dream score. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's a really well-written movie. And one of the things, you know, we didn't touch base as much, but there's that, that, that play on capitalism when he starts mm-hmm. taking off, becoming confident, yeah. they set up the business. It really becomes night shift at that movie. The yeah. movie yeah. shifts <laughs> without a morgue. You know, they're just they're yes. setting up this business. Uh, man, there's a lot of parallels in the 80s with different, like, you know, tropes for being, mm-hmm. like, recycled. But, you know, I think it's one of Cruz's best movies that Cruz has ever been oh, in, yeah, yeah. involved Absolutely. with. Absolutely. I think it is one of his best performances. I certainly think it's one of the best movies he ever made. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's great from start to finish. Because uh, I think after that, the action hero kind of took over a bit. Yeah. And he did, you know. He Tom got, he Cruise did, happened. Yeah. Color of money, and he did all the right moves and other... Jerry Maguire yeah, is okay, but, but Jerry yeah. Maguire, I would say, yeah. is decent. I like Color of Money. That's another favorite. Yeah. Actually, that might yeah. be one of my favorite Cruise performances, yeah. too. That's a good movie, too. But uh, <laughs> I, I really enjoy this, and I, th- I think it's a great comedy. I think it's one of the best teen comedies made in the mm-hmm. 80s. You know, if you're looking Absolutely. for that genre, this yeah. and Fast Times, I think, are the two best. You know, I would highly recommend those. Before you see the John, I know everybody loves the John yes. Hughes movies, but those movies I think hold up a little bit. Better. Yeah, I would those two, and the Sure Things one that I've always loved. Uh, one yes. of Cusack, uh, Rob Ryan directed John it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great oh, yeah. one too. But yeah, these Say are. Say anything is another great yeah. film, John, teenage yeah. film, John Cusack. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For a while, I saw every John Cusack movie the day it opened. I yeah. love him. <laughs> one wild, one we crazy have to do summer. It. Yes, we have to do <laughs> a John Cusack movie. Yeah. 
Godzilla is an ass. Yes. <laughs> oh, and Curtis Armstrong's in there. Six degrees of Curtis Armstrong. We found so many degrees in this movie from other things. It's it's incredible. Demi Moore is an ass. Demi, yeah. Demi Moore. It's Demi. It's always Demi to us, you know. Who else is in that? One of the Murray brothers. Yep, Joel Murray. Is he the? Is he he and Curtis Armstrong? Aren't they like they're like comedy pairs? Yeah, yip and yak or ack and yeah. Something oh, like something that. like that. Yeah. Bobcat. We already mentioned Bobcat. Bobcat. Yeah. 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 yeah, Bobcat. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, the only thing I remember from one crazy yeah. song. It really is Bobcat Goldfoyd. And remember. the cartoons that yeah. really, like, yeah. yeah. really like. Yeah. That is really that like is dark cartoon. These nah. movies or even nah. Better Off Dead. No, nah, it's not. Dead. Yeah. It, that was another follow up, but that wasn't quite as successful yes. as the original. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. So, Scott, any final thoughts on. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this movie. Um, <laughs> I, can, I I guess you guys have a better perspective on this. Than, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but I do enjoy it. I think it's a... Uh, I like Tom Cruise a lot in it. I, I did enjoy Curtis Armstrong in there. Um, I also like the fact that he was kind of a fraud. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of like, hey, do this. I'm someone being a hypocrite, telling people totally. to do something with their it's life. It's like Phoebe Cates and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, he, and I like seeing the parallels. Like you can see, like a lot of things, like with uh, the Graduate. It was influenced by the Graduate, mm-hmm. and then in turn influenced, I think, Ferris Bueller, and even like Weird Science, like yeah. the hot girl oh, yeah. with all the nerdy mm-hmm. kids mm-hmm. kind of thing, um, and you know, changing their life, but. Yeah, I like the fact that it's darker. It's it's a satire of you know a lot of the you know. I think some people might watch it today and say, not because we're in a climate now of like you know the awareness of like white privilege and this mm-hmm. movie is all about oh absolutely like, yeah. white people problems mm-hmm. you know like rich you know I'm not gonna get into Princeton <laughs> which is all the '80s were about. I mean like and that was actually one of Janet Maslin's problems with it was that yeah. People couldn't relate to this. Oh, these rich people and their problems. Right. Nobody would relate to it. Well, yeah, it's. I found a way, and I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I would even relate to being sixteen and having problems. It's with a girls. bit of a fantasy. Yo, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would go a step further and say it's satirizing that stuff. Yeah, yeah actually, kind of like the Graduate did. No, I think yes. it, it kind of mm-hmm. uh, subverts a lot mm-hmm. of that stuff, saying because I don't think that they look at it like. Like, I don't think it's a straightforward, like, uh, sentimental story at no. all. I think it no, really is pointing out, like, yeah, the, because the parents are presented as rich, mm. kind of stodgy people. Mm. And it's only until, like, he moves away from that world that people start, like, he becomes into his own. Mm. So I think Absolutely. that's, I think it's almost a commentary yeah. on that stuff. Than I else. think the satire is very subtle in this movie. I don't think it's over the top, which yeah. is great. Yeah. But I think there's probably some people it might oh, yeah. <laughs> be lost on. Mm. Right. Um, but, but they're dumb. <laughs> people that don't get the satire in this movie are stupid that's, uh, right. that's my white privilege coming out stupid. there no, they're stupid they're just stupid hey hey yeah. who and hasn't smoked a cigarette and put sunglasses on <laughs> yeah exactly everybody does that all the time <laughs> Jack Nicholson's made a career out of that you know it's, and it's wore like, a jacket and well, I think that was over. I think that was a signal that was a um Symbolism for his confidence yeah. and for him mm-hmm. finally oh, yeah. feeling like he was cool. Mm-hmm. Because what's more cool than than it's a razor? Gl- 
Wayfarers and a cigarette. Okay, like that, that was that was definitely eighties cool. If yeah, sunglasses that's on, cool now. If you, if you put sunglasses on anything in the eighties, oh, yeah. uh, it instantly yeah. made someone cool. like teenage youth in the twenties. Yeah, <laughs> you add a cigarette. George added, Harrison was doing it in the oh, late eighties yeah. too. Chester yeah. Cheetah, Bob Dylan, yeah, yeah. yeah. Chester Cheetah had like Chester a leather Chita, jacket. When he puts the sunglasses on. You know, he goes from being just <laughs> a cheetah to being cool. <laughs> I'll be honest, I was guilty in the eighties. I said, man, I'm not going to be cool until I get shades <laughs> and a leather jacket. Yes, you know, hey, I could have did it out the leather jacket. Yeah. This this movie, I just and I just wanted to add because I didn't talk too much um, about this, but this is one of my favorite movies, and I love it so much. I did touch a little bit about um, when I'd seen it in high school when I was a senior in high school. Mm -hmm. So I was in a lot of ways like the girl version of Joel. Mm -hmm. Um, But the one thing that I really love so much about this movie is the intrinsic value that it gave me in terms of I remembered watching this. And this being sort of kind of one of the first like adult-like films that I really saw and understood and appreciated. And in many ways, it sort of changed my eyes on how I viewed films. It was so sophisticated and um, so well done and tasteful, even though the heart of it was a teen sex comedy. Mm. You know, it was just so different um, from anything I'd really seen, because, you know, growing up in the 2000s, we had stuff like Old School and American Pie, and, you know, where um, sex was presented in a much different way. Mm-hmm. And I, so for me, this movie is really sentimental because it really kind of changed my appetite for movies in terms of what I started liking. There's a darkness to this movie um, that, you know, I a lot of the movies I really like are dark. And and they're comedies and and they're um, there's style they're stylistic, and this was sort of um, my introduction into that genre or into that style of film that I really like now as an adult. So um, that's another reason why I think I just forever love everything about this movie because it really opened up my eyes to a different type of movie. You know, I grew up watching old movies, mm-hmm. classic movies, which. You didn't see any of these elements in that. Mm-mm. So for me, this movie's really special because it's kind of like, I don't know, it kind of changed me in some mm-hmm. ways. Yeah, I, I would say Police Academy had the same effect on me when I saw it for the first time. You know, it was an adult film, it was rated R, and you know, it showed me you could say fuck on screen, so it was, it was a big profound... Hey, they became less rated R. Yeah. They had less yeah. community as they right, yeah. Miami Beach was my my jam. That was, there is. <laughs> that was your turning point in cinema, is when he said... That's when he's, he's, he's... I still get confused. I think... I can't yeah. get... Like, I remember all the police... Uh, this is not going to be a police academy podcast, but... Just the, yeah, I I remember all the movies, but I can't remember what number they are. That's like, what I was gonna ask. Is that four or like five? Which one's the balloon? Is that four? <laughs> this is on patrol. It's three, right? <laughs> uh, uh, I'm, now I think it might be four. Two's but, like a retread yeah, of one, right? Right. Yeah. I don't think I ever saw them yeah. in order. To be fair, too. I, know, I, I know I didn't. Yeah. I'm not sure I saw all of them. I don't think you have to. I think yeah, you, I you have to see one, and it kind of sets the tone for the others. Uh, but no, I, in all honesty, I don't know what you're saying about how there's certain movies that just kind of change. They alter the way that you perceive movies and, yeah. and everything. Um, I can't think of a specific movie like that for me that that Risky Business had for you because I think it was just kind of an evolution for me into that stuff. But that is, it is a great, it's a great gateway into the, like, like you love David Lynch Mm -hmm. and not that this is anywhere near Lynch, but I think the atmospherics of it 
and the aesthetics of it can push you even further into even more surreal, yeah. absurd worlds. Yeah. Same thing with like Heather's is another one of my favorite movies. Oh, it's another I dark that. movie. I also really like Cruel Intentions. There's a lot of like kind of like darker movies that I really like that especially if you know me on the exterior and you grew up with me, you know, it's really far from anything that people would would think or right. expect of me. Like Scott always says, he's like, you would never expect that you like these quirky, weird things. You know, you're very you know, you have this mm. darkness to you. Um, that you wouldn't think, and and I like that about myself. But this movie really helped me identify that and say, hey, I have this other side of me, you know, mm-hmm. that isn't just fluffy and girly and likes pink and you know likes Audrey Hepburn and stuff like that. Um, so I don't know. I think that that that's a really beautiful thing that this film did for me as a as a girl. And mm-hmm. that made know, me as, think as when I watched it, I was going into it, it was like, I'm 16. We have HBO. This is in 1984 or whatever. That's where you got you got to see women naked, yeah, uh, yeah. and moving. So it was uh, <laughs> it was very exciting. Yeah, I think so, the guy's experience of this yeah, is different. Yeah, from, so from a, the, the first perspective. Yeah. Couple times I watched it. That's what I was there for. But uh, but she's gorgeous. Well, hey, in this movie. Yeah, yeah, but with oh, success, I said she's gorgeous. But, but too. Was, I, mean, I, in, I would do her. I went in just for that. But there's so much. It's, it was even then. It was like this is so much more and so much better. Than that, because there were all Absolutely. kinds of other movies that did that where they were just Awful. not nearly on the. Well, system. and so the terrible. thing too is, you know, and even being a, a girl, a young girl, because obviously I'm a human. Okay, when I was 18 years old, in many, I'm a girl, but in many ways, I have the same kind of desires as teenage boys do. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Um, not not to say that like um, I thought that this movie would fulfill any of those desires when I saw it, mm-hmm. but um, I guess for me, it was nice to see that sexuality portrayed in, in a really um, tasteful way, you know, with the sex scenes and they weren't they weren't um, victimizing Rebecca DeMori's mm-hmm. character and they weren't, you know, it wasn't demoralizing either either. You never really saw her, you know, naked or anything like that. I mean there was a quick glimpse in the initial scene, but it was done so beautifully that it was it was artistic. Well if it anything, she's the one who's in control of it. Exactly. But but you know what I mean? It wasn't mm-hmm. like, hey, here's my naked body. Right. It was done so beautifully. You had the music playing and the, the doors open, and it yeah. was. I mean, it was something that a girl would dream of. Um, you know, girls did have you know sex fantasies of uh, just like that. Um, but I really like that, and I mean, I've always, you know, as a woman, had my own sexuality and stuff, and uh, I think it was really nice to see this done in such a different way. Now I now I'm not a fan of remakes in any way, shape, or form. But I think it'd be really neat to remake this with a with a female Joel, and have a guy instead of Rebecca De Mornay. I think that would be an interesting take. It was called Grease. <laughs> she didn't give him a makeover. <laughs> okay, he probably had those shades. <laughs> he wasn't a hooker. But he was just yeah. a, he was a greaser. He was a greaser. He was a greaser. That was totally different. Yeah. But I think it'd be neat, you know, I mean, to take this really good girl who's straight A, you know, that, the mm-hmm. same character and just make it a female. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that would be neat. Yeah, I think it would be interesting. I, and hey, everything else is being remade yeah, these why days. Not? Why not I'm risky not saying, business? I'm not saying remake it. I'm just saying to tell a, sto- a similar story. Tell a similar story. story. Yeah. yeah, from a female. Because like I said, girls have, you know, sexual desires and stuff too. It isn't just the horny boy. You know what I mean? I just think like the teen formula has been like people not the 80s I think the 80s are far superior to a lot of mainstream films that have made in those that yeah. in, in that genre mm-hmm. because I think like these type of movies these coming of age stories have been so watered down so formulaic and they're not nearly as 
interesting as this movie. This movie has that capitalism take mm-hmm. in the middle of it mm-hmm. that's very clever and very sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even Fast Times, like it's kind of like a scene within the scene and they have such a great cast and mm-hmm. superb writing. You don't really yeah. see that carried through. It's like they kind of take the tropes that were popular mm-hmm. that might sell tickets and they just yeah. kind of recycled it. Or they just show skin. Yeah. You know, which this movie didn't. I mean, it was... You well, know, it was... I think that's... I mean, Joel, I think, is a very interesting character, male character. And then, obviously, uh, with Lana, it's just like... Like you said, it's almost a dreamy sequence. And then... Um, even a movie like Ferris Bueller, Ferris is just such an interesting. He he, yeah. he does all the uh, the quirky uh, superhero almost. Yeah, he's almost like Can't a superhero. And like he's mis- he's not relatable. Okay, Joel was relatable. Yeah, Ferris Bueller. More not people relatable. related to being Joel. Yeah, I think than ever related to being Ferris Bueller. No one was like they would that. Want, they want to be Ferris, but yeah, yeah but in reality, you're Joel. 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 Yeah. But uh, I think uh, Ferris's friend was really the the character that goes to the park anyway. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's Joel for yeah. sure. I mean, he's he's definitely Ferris yeah. is like a fictional character. Like just yeah, just, that's what I mean. He was the most popular. Kid. He was Bugs Bunny. He's Bugs Bunny, yes, where yes. everything oh, goes away. He has all the cards. Yeah. He literally can't lose. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I honestly am not really a fan of Ferris Bueller the movie. You're not, you're not I, I actually own it. Um, that's but, my favorite but, of John Hughes's. Is it actually, really? Yeah, it's really yeah, not, it's really not yeah. like my favorite movie. I would say my favorite John Hughes teen movie is probably Pretty in Pink. But I think that's more of a girl movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Maybe it's the maybe it's the the, the unrealisticness of Ferris Bueller that, that gets me. That I'm yeah. just like, I just can't relate. Like, it just... It's a fun story. You know, it's enjoyable. But um, I don't know. I guess I like more serious stuff. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I I'm a big Curly Sue fan myself. No. Yeah, me too. Where did that come from? Jeff Belushi, <laughs> superb in that. Uh, it's, uh, another, uh, no, I, I, you know, I being <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Like, uh, I, I do like this movie. I don't really see this as ultra serious. I mean, it's sophisticated, no, no. but it's more yeah. it's satirical. Yeah. You know. I guess um, maybe satirical or more sophisticated. It's more sophisticated. Ferris Bueller is almost yeah. in a strange way. It's kind of like a throwaway movie. In terms of, like, it, it's fun well, to I mean, watch. It's, it's a fun day off. It's yeah, exactly, off. exactly. I mean, it is like kind of like one of those throwaway movies. It isn't going to change your life. It isn't really going to teach you anything. Right. It's just a fun two yeah. hours escape kind well, of. Well, yeah, because you know. And now we're doing a Ferris Bueller podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like Ferris doesn't. His arc is there's not really an arc even. No. Like, yeah, he has even really with his no girlfriend. Problems, his like, girlfriend's like he's going to marry me, and I'm just like, no, he's not. There's yeah. no way Ferris Girl, is married. When he goes no. to college, he's going to forget all that. That's exactly yeah, exactly. what's going to happen. That guy has a perfect life and will always yes. have a perfect <laughs> right. life. Yeah. It's just, he's going to make the perfect Rube Goldberg. Yeah, he is. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like Ferris Bueller. I think he's charming. You know, I think it's a fun movie. Oh, I still love the movie. It's just but... not, it, you know, I guess it's just not something that, like, um, is my favorite. He does do that. Not even just John Hughes, just in general. Yeah. I would like this if Joel talked to the. He said, "Why are you still in the theater?" Oh. <laughs> just like they do in Scrooge oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Not to carry this too much, but it is amazing though that Risky Business isn't nearly as popular as it yeah. was in the eighties. Yeah. Like, in, in the fact that Ferris Bueller mm-hmm. is extraordinarily exactly. popular and that has carried over. Do you know why? Because it's mainstream. Ferris Bueller, they're like they're like an in sync, and Risky Business is like 
I don't know, a better boy band that's still they around. Play it on TV, I think. They're like, yeah. they're like the Conrad <laughs> movies. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. Like, I think, I think Risky movie. Business oh, is an, acqui- it's yeah. an acquired it taste, and I yeah. think a certain kind of person it gravitates toward a movie like uh, Risky Business. Then Ferris Bueller is more mainstream. It's well, more for everybody. Maybe like, it goes yeah. your point where Ferris Bueller's pretty much at the end. Everyone feels good about what happened. Yeah, yeah, it's like a fluffy movie. It's yeah. fluffy. Yeah, um, I still love it. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying it's but, not good. And, and, but I think this goes to yeah. why. But risky business is more, uh, for lack of a better term, a thinking man's yes. movie yeah. with all the sex yes. and it's hilarious and all that. But I yeah. think people it's, see it and are like, ah, I don't know if I want to jump into that. Well, Ferris Bueller's on. I can, yeah. I can pick up wherever, absolutely, wherever it was. I and, think also and, people have seen Ferris Bueller a hundred times and and not to, yeah. and not time. to you know um, to. To say anything negatively towards people who like Ferris Bueller over Risky Business or anything like that, but I think Risky Business is so sophisticated and it's so subtle, you know, um, that it is really an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. Where Ferris Bueller, a teenager, will pop that on and, and get it and like it and enjoy it. Where Risky Business, I think, it's a little bit. It's just a different like tone. The, it's, it's a different tone. I like it's Risky Business versus uh, Ferris Bueller. Me and my brother had this one late night argument at the Round Bar. Rest in peace. It was risky business versus true romance, which are two completely different right, movies. Right, right. And yeah, we were both very intoxicated, and he was just insisting, "No, true romance is better." I was like, "No, I think risky business is." It's like and the Bob Dylan and Paul Simon. Yeah. yeah. So we had this whole argument that night, and then yeah. on Facebook, and then and it wasn't like I'm going to kill you. It was just more of a, "Oh yeah, that movie has merit." Blah blah blah. And then, Absolutely. Then he he thought it over, and he's like, "You know what? They're probably pretty even." <laughs> Yeah. So, at the end of the day, he's they're just different. I they mean, are very different. That's, you know, a, that's a different thing. Uh, yeah. I think. Uh, I think they're just some. I, I think there's a danger either way. I think there's mm-hmm. a danger if you only tend to favor mainstream feel-good movies, yeah. and there's a danger if you're only liking these small yeah. art, idiosyncratic yes. art films. Mm-hmm. And I think there's mm-hmm. you can enjoy both. Yes. It's like the argument I'm hearing yeah. now. It's like there are too many superhero movies that dominate right. the box office. I'm like, well, there always been blockbusters. Yeah. And movies like Silence by a Scorsese, they're always going to be small audiences for those. It's not like they're going to have a massive budget. There's room for both, I guess, in your palate. You know, you can enjoy both. Oh, absolutely. I'm not saying that there's not. I'm just saying I think Risky Business is is different. You're you're, you're explaining your tastes, like where you what you respond to. Well, and I'm also explaining like the the the, how Risky Business is a very different movie than than. Kind of like what I said from the get go. It's like the art movie of teen comedy. Mm -hmm. It is not. You can't compare it to Porky's. No. It's totally different. And that's, I guess, the point I'm getting at, where yeah. Porky's is the mainstream, quintessential teen comedy from the 80s that yeah. everybody knows and watches. Yeah. Right. And then you have this gem that is risky business. That's all I'm just saying. No, I'm you know. I would even take that step further. Where, like, I like that argument you're making, because I feel this way. Like, Porky's is a low-grade version of what Bill Murray was doing with Stripes and oh, Caddyshack in Animal House. Yeah. Like, those yeah. movies are superb. Yeah. But Porky's is the watered down. Let's take all the Just things. Such a we lazy thought. Yeah, it is lazy. Yeah, That's yeah. there's a difference. Like I think Ferris Bueller isn't lazy. I think that Pew's put a lot of yeah. effort well, into it. Although he copied movie. a lot of what was That's right, well and, but well, it's well crafted. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it, Where Risky Business, like that, was probably an original idea by Prickman that he kind yes. of fused. Mm. It's 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 that's the difference. Yeah. And then the guys in Porky's were talk about actors much older than they are supposed to be. By Porky's yeah. too, oh those gosh. guys are like thirty nine. Yeah. So um, and yeah. Well, that's ridiculous. like Will Ferrell in old school. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's what old school is about, though. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so uh, I know I've been living that life for the last fifteen years. <laughs> you are old school. Yeah, <laughs> I am too. So uh, I'm hey, ultimate don't get me old wrong. school. I like 
I like mainstream blockbusters, okay? I once saw Titanic five times in the well, theater with man. absolutely no shame, and I love Spice World. <laughs> Don't get me started on Titanic. That's where I turn into my art house. <laughs> me too. Mode. So, yeah, I mean, so. I, I know it goes both ways. I'm just saying yeah. risky business. I think it's more of that artistic people that tend to remember that. Because you were talking about how it isn't nah. as remembered anymore as some of those as, it's not as big now as it was in the 80s I'll say this everything that you've said about Risky Business versus the John Hughes movies I 100% agree with like this is more of my movie than the John Hughes movie yeah. same thing with Fast Times I think Fast Times is the best yeah. probably my favorite of all of these also, just because I like I like that ensemble vibe oh it, yeah but. so we all, I'll, I'll agree that John Hughes uh, deserved to die yeah he did. <laughs> is he overrated yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he watered down Steve Martin <laughs> it was just like just a bad bad vibe Yes, around. he did water down. Yeah, he did it. I, 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 I was a crazy guy. I went to I'm the Dad. Now, yeah. every movie. Um, well, I'll give you that. Yeah. That was Chris Columbus, technically. Oh, that's right. But I thought John Hughes wrote He did, he did. Yeah, that is a John. Well, yes, technically. It's a, it's, a, it's a John Hughes joint, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it is. So, uh, I agree, I, Spice World's underrated. And Alan is. Cummings isn't that, just to yes, do another thank connection. Thank you. While yes, we're doing this. Spice World. Oh, I love him. Uh, so uh, I usually end the podcast with talking about like the, the best way to watch it outside of a theater is on Blu-ray, mm-hmm. and actually there is a Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Tony actually oh. owns the Blu-ray, oh, so I do. If you can tell All us right. how well it does it look for Steam. Uh, I haven't watched it. <laughs> I actually, um, in, in preparation for doing this podcast, I have Risky Business on VHS. Yes, I still uh, have it on VHS. I might as well. I do too. Oh, I think I, I own it. Way. Yeah. It, it's weird. It's not a movie I always revisited, though, but yeah. I did buy it yeah. on, on VHS. I, the VHS yeah. version I have is the one for, I saw it from back when I was in high school. I think I got it like at one of those kind of like flea market type places, mm-hmm. and so I got that's when I that's when mm-hmm. I bought it. But um, the Blu-ray I do have. I was lucky enough to find it at the Dollar General for five dollars. Wow. So guys, go to the Dollar does it General. Have the, uh, it the has the alternate ending. It does, and uh, it has like commentary and special mm-hmm. features. I mean, it was really a good buy cool. for five dollars. So to check that out. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I think that wraps up risky business for all of us. Yes. It's a, it's a great movie. We all recommend it. Uh, yes. Uh, Stephen, I know you have a lot of projects coming up that you. Yeah, want. I'll just I'll just run one. Um, the family this uh, we just cast our theater roulette, uh, which is our May Shorts Festival at Mad Lab. Um, it's running May 11th through the 27th. Uh, it's three rotating <laughs> nights of shows, and then on the 27th we do all of the shows at, uh, starting at two, and then there's another one at four, and then at eight. Uh, so I invite you to check that out. And uh, for anything Mad Lab, go to <laughs> just go to MadLab.net. You can check out uh, all the things we got coming up. Awesome, and then Scott, Tony, and I have a show on March 25th that we're all part of called Idiot Box, directed by our friend Mark DeBerzio. It takes place at Cafe Kerouac at 8 p.m., I believe, on yeah. that date. Yeah. And uh, you can just follow us around. Scott and I perform occasionally as the Wheeler Brothers in and out of town. And uh, we'll just uh, follow us on Facebook, like us, love us on iTunes, give us five-star ratings, because we beg for the highest quality <laughs> Roger Ebert rating. Of course. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Let us know. Are you a Paul Brickman type or are you a John Hughes type? Yeah, right. And there's, you know, that really is. John Hughes. Yeah, <laughs> there are only two types of people. There are Paul Brickman and John Hughes types. You're either writing a movie every day, every day or you're not writing anything. Are you so. a Rebecca DeMornay or are you a Molly Ringwald? Right. You know. So see everybody next time. Take Bye. Care. Bye. So how we doing? It's like University of Illinois.